welcome to Traeger Method Podcast, episode number 52. It's a season two. There's 50 episodes per season. I decided this is the second episode of season two. It's number 52 total. If you're keeping track, I want to give those stats. I'm a numbers guy. Okay, I like to crunch the numbers up top. That's housekeeping. We got that out of the way. Now we're into the intro. My conversation today, what I'm sharing with you, is a conversation between myself, your host, Jason Traeger, and Peter David Connolly, who performs music under the name The Mona Reels, M-O-N-A-R-E-E-L-S. I've known him since he was a teenager in Olympia, Washington. We talk about that. We talk about his new album, the title of which is Without Love. I want to promote the hell out of that album. I, I, I hope I talk about it enough. It is incredible. you got to get it. You can get it through Bandcamp, Spotify. Get, buy it from Bandcamp, though, his Bandcamp, the Mona Reels Bandcamp. Link in bio, of course. This album is absolutely brilliant. Peter plays all the instruments, almost 90-something percent of them, and vo- vocals. So talented. The songs are, are I mean... They're like classic songs that you hadn't heard before, if that makes sense. You know, when you hear a song and you go, oh, didn't this already get written at some point? Because it's so perfect. It had to be an influence on itself or something. I don't know. They're just great. But, you know, I, don't, I, could, I could tell you all about them and describe the songs. But the fact is, you can go listen to them for free. So, you know, go do that. Spotify. The Mona Reels, Without Love. If you like it, then buy it. Bandcamp, The Monorails, Lincoln Bio. I'll say it one more time. I really love this conversation. I, I, as I was editing it, I was listening, of course, and uh, yeah, we cover so much stuff. And you know, you might not know who Peter David Connolly is. You may not know who The Monorails are. You may never have heard of this. And you may think, well, do I even want to listen to this? There's so many musicians, so many people. It's like, yes, if you're interested in the Traeger Method story that has been unfolding in this podcast, this, this story of interconnectivity and influences and, uh, you know, webs of friendships and relationships and in a music art making underground context of the West coast, primarily United States. If you're interested in that unfolding story, this conversation will be of interest to you, whether you like Peter's wonderful music or not because you're going to hear about all kinds of people that we've already heard about in this thing. You're going to talk about, he's coming from a generation, you know, he's 10 years younger than me. So, you know, when I met him, he was 19, I was 30. And he talks about meeting a bunch of those 30-year-olds when he was that age in Olympia. Justin Trosper, Toby Vale, people like that, that made a huge impression on him and were very supportive to him. He was so talented when he came on the scene. You couldn't help but admire the guy. Plus, he's just a very sweet person. He's just a very nice guy. He's not hard to like. Super talented and really nice. That's a good combo. I I listen to this album. I think, why is he not a household name? Peter David Connolly. But if he's not a household name to you yet, upon listening to this, maybe he will be after this is done. I hope so. And it's not about him, of course. It's about his music. He, he would point that out himself. He does point that out in the uh, episode. You know, it's about the music. I want you guys to hear it because it's good. It deserves it, regardless of who made it. Okay, that's what good music deserves. Ears of people who will appreciate it. Okay, 
I guess I really don't need to lecture anybody about the needs of music. Music is going to be okay. All right. At this point, I would like to thank my supporters, people who support me through the Anchor app, people who support me through Patreon. I really appreciate it. It means the world to me that you give. Thank you. I'd also like to thank my one-time gift givers, give through Venmo, Patreon, I mean, uh, uh, PayPal. I know in Australia, you don't have Venmo. I've had a few Australians give me some cash through uh, PayPal, and I appreciate it so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you cannot give and you want to support the pod, tell a friend, rate and review where you listen and all that other stuff you hear on every other podcast. You hear it for a reason. Thank you for your support. I really appreciate it. I also got to let you know I have an art show opening on 11-7, November 7th, 3 p.m. at World Famous Original, 4831 Southeast Division in Portland, Oregon. That show will be up through the month. It's called What the World Needs Now. It's a collection of paintings. Please stop by and check it out. And if you're not if you're not in Portland and you can't make it to the show, you can see the work at TragerMethod.com, my website. Thank you very much for your support on that front as well. All right. At this point, I would like to introduce my conversation with the man behind the Mona Reels. I know you're going to enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having it. Please enjoy my conversation with Peter David Connolly. Peter David Connolly, so good to see you. So good to see you too. I'm on Traeger Method. You are officially awesome. part of the methodology. Yeah, I, I I listened to a few of the older episodes in preparation for this and also just for my own entertainment. I listened to the uh, first half of the Ian Mackay one and I listened to Toby's. And then I listened to the one with Star, who I've never met before. Oh, really? She's great. Isn't she? I mean, just seems like such a gem of a person. Absolutely. There's a reason I married her. We we were married. Yeah. She's a good I one. I don't believe we've met. Maybe we did ages ago somehow, but I think... That surprises me since you were both in Olympia. Yeah, but wasn't that in the like nine, you know, 90s and stuff? I wasn't really connected to anyone in the scene then, really. Were you born and raised Olympia? No, I'm from Ellensburg, and then we moved... Cowboy country. Uh, cow, yeah, rodeo. Screaming rodeo trees. There. Screaming trees. I grew up renting videos from those guys. Who? Uh, Connor Brothers? And Lanigan, who I remember really clearly because I found him so intimidating. Yeah. Just as a, when I was like five, six years old. I was thinking, actually, that might have been the, the first time I remember really being intimidated by someone's just overall vibe was him because he he didn't smile really didn't seem like he was into working there um he's a heavy dude yeah i remember once when speaking of star when she was a dj at kusf in san francisco in the late 80s uh screaming trees came in for an interview and she was like you should come in and sit around too and hang out because they're from washington you know and but Ellensburg is very different than Seattle. <laughs> yes, very much yeah. so. And but it's yeah, yeah, he was intimidating. He, even then, I was like, I was impressed with him. 
Yeah, and it's handy that they were a good band because that was the only thing that really notable that came out of there. So even if they had been like Creed or something, I would have had to, I would have been forced to like it because they just were the Ellensburg band. Was that the story that 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 Mark Pickerel ran? Uh, He had a record store. I remember going there later. That didn't open until after I, after we moved. Um, The store that they all worked at was a video and electronic sort of store. And that was in that era where you like, like my parents didn't have a VCR. So you'd rent the movie and then you'd rent the top loader VCR. I remember that. Yeah. My brother worked at a video place in San Diego called Video Library. And they, that was in that era where you rented the machine we'd get it for free because he worked there but i remember they'd come in these huge vinyl things that look like pizza delivery bags yeah the vcr would be in there and it would have like wood paneling on it and stuff it was like a really different yeah. thing but it was a big deal so that was the kind of store that they they worked at yeah and then i, I learned later that they that was also their rehearsal space was oh. in the back but after they closed but I didn't know that until I read, I read uh, Lanigan's memoir, which was rough. God, that was like brutal. Really? Like drug stories and stuff. Yeah. The guy's done some time in the drug mines. Yeah, definitely. Such a good voice. Yeah. I'm deep resonant voice. Yeah. One of those. I nearly lost you there. Yeah. Like one of those voices that it seems like smoking helped. Yeah, for sure wouldn't be the case for for me no i did i quit smoking a couple years ago although if i go out to the bar and drink alcohol that's the only time that i'm like hey can i can i have a cigarette give me someone next to me but that doesn't happen too often so what year did you move to olympia uh we moved in 1991 and how old were you Um, then i was 11 years old and uh so i was right between elementary school and junior high okay and at the time i was uh kind of mad that we were moving like i wanted to stay in ellensburg yeah which i'm so (laughs) glad that i didn't go to high school in ellensburg like that would have been really difficult you only moved to like the coolest mid-sized city scene in the whole country probably yeah right into the heart of it right at the time it's true and and to at the time it really seemed like it seemed like we were moving to New York or something. Yeah. Like it's like the bit we're going to the big city and I'm going to say goodbye to all my friends. And I was really into basketball. Then I was, uh, you know, a Celtics fan, Larry bird fan and stuff. But then like shortly after we moved, like the, uh, I had been into music as a really little kid and sort of learned how to play the drums then. And then I sort of got into basketball and then grunge happened. And then I was, all in back into music collective collective souls changed your life collective soul yeah green apple quick step creed best kisses in the world green apple quick step funny you mentioned them dan uh trevanti the guitarist of that band he was the guitarist in my very first punk band that i ever had the deprived in tacoma in 1981 really yes really went on to be in green apple quick step i didn't know that you ever lived in tacoma Oh yeah, I knew you live in Seattle, Seattle, Tacoma, and Seattle. My parents were divorced, and my mom moved to Tacoma after a while, and so I split my time between the two suburbs north of Seattle, city houses around the city of Seattle, and then Tacoma, various houses there. And then, did you go to San Diego from there? Yes, San no. Diego, nineteen eighty three, eighty four. 
And then uh, San Francisco, 87, 88, Reno, that kind of stuff. That's sort of my journey. Yeah, you got, there's some great stories about that period in, in, the, in the episodes that I've listened to. Yeah, good. So far. I'm glad. So when you moved to Olympia, how long, you're 11 or 12, how long before you discover that you're in this indie rock, punk rock, heartbed, or, you know, whatever you call it, hotbed? And, well, uh, I really, I really regret that in a way, because um, maybe under the influence of some of the friends that I'd hung out with, I made the uh, unfortunate decision that all of the Olympia bands sucked and k and kill rock stars was all this hipster <laughs> bullshit thing and then what it was were you listening to like the major label bands like soundgarden and you know yeah i mean i'm not all some of i listened some of them are great like i listened to green river and bands like that and babes in toyland i was really into you had to be impressed living in one of nirvana's hometown yeah, but in a way that didn't even occur. Like I didn't know that or something. You didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that they were. I mean, they were sort of mark. It's funny they were marketed as like a Seattle band, which they right. never really were. Right. Um, but that was like the tagline on them or whatever. Did you ever um, practice in that practice space down by the, um, like the waterfront where Kurt used to work as a janitor? It was like the headquarters of the janitorial service he worked for became a band practice space. Uh, if it's the same place I'm thinking of, like, yeah, yeah, I think at the very end of the nineties, it was still, uh, no, I think I did one time. I think I played, uh, yeah, I I, I think I did have like a jam there one time that, that ended pretty like that was over. I feel like by like 2000 or something. Oh, it could be. I just mentioned it because it's a Kurt location. Yeah, well, it's, but anyway, so so the um, so you didn't really weren't really aware of Nirvana's roots in Olympia, and you weren't really impressed with the indie rock scene there, and you were you were a grunge guy. Yeah, and I regret that because that's when all of like I, I remember one time in '92, so I went in '12. I went to a show at the park by Capitol Lake, and it was Carp, Fyp, and Hammerbox. Damn. And I remember standing there watching Carp and being like, not only is this a terrible band, but they <laughs> seem like total dicks. Like they seem like the guys that like beat me, which I was completely incorrect in yeah. thinking that. And then I ended, ended up becoming, you know, friends or friendly with, with all those guys. Sure. And, you know. And they're so, the most amazing band ever. Yeah. And right. And then I didn't, I didn't see them later when they got, you know terrifyingly good you know years after that because i just wrote them off from that that early show or whatever so you never saw them at the height of their powers no that was the only time madness and then i started listening to the records like right about the time they split up i think i remember so distinctly at a yo-yo a go-go i can't remember what year but um ian mckay podcast traeger method podcast episode 50 guest and I were sitting in the balcony of the Capitol theater and we watched carp um, play on my guitar. He, Chris was playing my black Gibson Les Paul jr. Double cutaway. Yeah, I think I've seen that video. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I should post a video to that or a video of that on my Instagram and Chris is playing my guitar and he just side note and that show 
was so monumentally good, it, it made the hair stand on end, like how good they were. And Ian looked at me. This is Ian Mackay, okay? He's mm-hmm. a legend in his own right, okay? Derek Tape. Um, and Ian looks at me and just goes, dude, what is up with this town? Like, you got more good bands. You know, this is, you know, Unwound, Bikini Kill, Carp, you name it, just going at the same time. He's like, what is the fucking deal? Like, this, you guys are blowing DC out of the water nowadays. Like, that was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. He's after seeing Carp, you know, that's Ian McKay. Yeah. Well, at that point, I'm sure that was true. I mean, that's what they're playing all the songs in that last, last record or whatever. Unbelievable. The un- unfortunately, those are all out of print now, and they're like two hundred dollars or like something. Self titled, yeah, and like yeah, and suplex and stuff for like between a hundred and two hundred dollars now. That's insane. They haven't been. I don't think they're even in print on CD or anything. What? Like you can get them on streaming, and like that's it. Oh God! Somebody needs to reissue all those things on like one hundred eighty gram vinyl. For sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Unwound was also, that was another, I mean, they mm-hmm. they lasted longer, so I, I saw them a bunch of times, and, and we ac- actually, Mona Reels opened their last out-of-town show ever at uh, the Java Jive in Tacoma. In Tacoma, classic, the teapot, Bob's Java Jive. Yeah. so that service alcohol when I was in high school. Oh, yeah, that's that doesn't, doesn't really surprise me. <laughs> it was the 80s. Um, there's probably some other illicit substances you could procure there we had a place in tacoma and a place in seattle there was a place in the pike street market this greek restaurant that would serve us no questions asked as long as you got there early enough they're like these guys must be dock workers so they would serve us a beer with a shot of whiskey in it oh Oh, yeah what's that called a boiler maker boiler maker yeah yeah a rainier with a shot of well whiskey that sounds gross to start off the day yeah oh god that sounds like a bad way to live (laughs) but if you're 18 or something it's pretty awesome. But, yeah, anyways, yeah. but Bob's Jive, Jive, Jive was another place that did do that occasionally. So anyways, um, so back to Unwound. So, you're, so you, you, you did see Unwound. Bunch of times saw them. And, they, and those, uh, I didn't really know Sarah so well because she didn't live in uh, Olympia at the point that I sort of got to know Justin and Vern and Brandt. But they were really, you know how you like, and I'm sure you had this too when you sort of uh, try to become involved in a local music scene. And then there's those people in a prominent band who are like, you know, seven, eight years older than you. And they're sort of like, you know, the the people that take you under their wing kind of. And that was sort of how it, like them and and Toby and a few other people, Jessica Espelita, oh, you Jessica. in a lot of ways. Thank you. Glad like to be there was. Service. You know, those th- those were the people that I like, oh, I should, you know, I should surround myself with with this, uh, these kind of influences because, it, you know, it just seemed like they, like you all had records out and you had stuff going on, you're in bands. And, as, you know, when I was trying to see if I could start doing that stuff, um, they were very, very, Justin in particular was extremely supportive of me when I was 19 or whatever. Slim also is very supportive of Slim Moon. That's so important. I mean, it's so important. Yeah, because if you don't have that, it's just you won't have any confidence to no. put yourself yeah, out there. And, and Kevin that was Seconds pretty... was huge for me that way. Kevin Seconds. I mean, so many people. Just too many to name. But yeah, yeah. I've played a couple of shows with him. I sh- I need to oh, solo shows. 
Yeah, yeah. I need to send him the record. I played with we Monorail's played in two incarnations with him. One was at the Clipper. Oh yeah. And then one was at the Lacey Public Library. Oh, that's so cool. That was a few years ago. But that's so yeah, awesome. I need to I need to send him a copy. I love that you guys super are nice. I don't know him well, but I remember like really, really nice guy. Oh yeah. The greatest. Amazing. That's so great. That's I love that. There's that connection. I never would have guessed, but it makes perfect sense. So you've mentioned the monoreels a couple of times. That is your moniker that you make music under. It's your, you know, band. Umbrella. But it's you yeah. primarily. You play all the instruments typically. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wa- always want to have more guests. The, that's the reason why it, I didn't just call it my name is especially I didn't want to be the singer all the time. Right. But then a lot of times I, in past ones, I'd sort of get lazy and make the track and be thinking like, oh, I should get someone to sing. And then, ah, fuck it, I'll just sing it. You've got a beautiful voice. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, But this time it was sort of made necessary just by quarantine. Like I, I I wanted to have a ton of guests and then there's still 10 guests on it, but I'm still playing, you know, and singing 95% of it. And it- we're talking here about your newest album, the one that just came out called Without Love. Yes, Without Love. And I have to stop for a moment and just say, the reason we're talking, I mean, I'm happy to talk to you. I would love to talk to you under any circumstance. But the reason you're at this point in the arc of the Traeger Method story is because I want to promote this album. And I want to draw people's attention to it. It's called Without Love. It's by Peter David Connolly, a.k.a. The Monoreels. And it is such a brilliant album it's like it deserves a huge audience. It's so brilliant. And you are such an un- amazingly talented person uh, as a musician. It boggles my mind. Like the, you can play piano so beautifully. You can play drums like a total pro. You are a total pro. And you can play guitar, bass, drums. And you have the voice of an angel with an, uh, a, range, <laughs> a range that just you can hit these incredible notes. And your songwriting, the lyrics are so beautiful and touching. And, you know, uh, the, the, the vibe you get from this album is all these, the best classic music. You know, you hear a little bit of Big Star, you'll hear some Beatles, you hear some Elliot Smith. If you like melody and song structure and uh, virtuosic uh, musicianship, it is an album you have to hear. The Monoreels without love. Okay. That well, was my- thank you very much. I'm very flattered that you would say that. Well, it's just true. It. it is my favorite. It's the most satisfied I've been with one. Like it's, it's the one that I can listen to and, you know, sometimes listen to like it's someone else's record, just like a, yes. you know, for the pleasure of hearing it. It's a great, that's a great place to find. And that was not true work. for some of the old ones. No, you know, I would be like, God, I wish that, you know, maybe some of it's all right, but if I just had done this song a little better, or if I, you know, yeah. So I feel more satisfied with this one. I also, um, and obviously since I made it, I can't have a uh, objective view of it, but I always feel like whenever I listen to it, it feels like a lot happened when you get to the end. Like it feels like it's longer than the 42 minutes or whatever it is. What's the Baroque um, structure of a lot of the music? You know, your songs have so much in them that there's like a world within a song. It's that whole like micro macro where one song can be a complete symphony of movements. And then that's just one song. Then you're on to the next one. You know, it's three minutes. Yeah, later. I always thought that stuff like that would re- reward repeated listenings. If you more, yeah. that's a real lesson from that. Cause I'm a more than any other music. I'm sort of like a beach boys disciple. 
And that was a big thing that I learned from that music is just to sort of like, if you have a lot of counter melodies and saturate and harmony and sort of just saturate the recording with lots of music stuff going on, then you can hear things, you know, the 10th or 12th time. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, some of my favorite records are, you know, punk records or whatever, which aren't like that at all, where it's just like energy and it's all, you know, it's just a trio or four people playing. And I love that as well. And sometimes those reward repeated listenings as well. But one thing I've noticed when I think about those two things, because I love both styles of music, of course, too. I love this ultra stripped down and I love the, uh, you know, symphonic or whatever you want to call it. Um, like I was thinking when you were talking about the Beach Boys just now, like, like God only knows that song. It's that's like two minutes long, right? And it's the most yeah. epic song or like songs by the left bank, like Love Pretty Ballerina or, you know, Walk Away Renee. Two minute songs that just have an ocean of stuff in them. And yeah, you can hear different things each time. But like with a stripped down punk song, the thing that I find pleasing about that as a person with a melodic sensibility similar to yours, you you can put those in that music you can hear all the possibilities that don't have to be expressed in a three-part song you know three-track song it's like a good song like that lets you kind of you know fill in the space in your own mind of all the possibilities that are open yeah definitely and i think that that's one reason why stuff like like you were saying like a song like god only knows is sort of progressive in the best sense because even though it has a lot of crazy stuff going on and crazy chords and harmonies and stuff, the main hook of that song is dun, 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 three notes. Bum, if I'd have, you bum, know, bum, it's bum. like it still has its roots in childhood, sim- you know, simplicity. Right. And, and well, that's think of like it, Beethoven's fifth. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, right. You know, the whole thing goes from there. Yeah. And that's maybe some something that I thought that maybe like the 70s prog rock band sort of missed. Right. Is having that not only that and also that God only knows it's like you said, two, three minutes long. It's not 11 minutes. Yeah. You know? It doesn't need to be two minutes. Yeah. Is, it, it says the whole thing. Well, yeah. Well, your Beach Boys influence has come through. I mean, and all your wonderful influences. Um, Elliot Smith, I hear him in there, too. Did you ever perform with Elliot or, or see him live? Oh God, I did. I saw him a couple and I was, I, uh, I was definitely paying keen attention to the section in the interview you did with star where you were talking about talking about him. Mm. Um, I did see him a couple times. I didn't play with him and it's really sad because we were booked to play with him. When I was in bangs, we were going to play all tomorrow's parties with him and unfortunately he passed like two weeks before the show and so his band came out and played with lou barlow singing and that was just too painful for me even i mean and it's no slur on lou or anything it just was like you know way too painful i couldn't watch the whole thing like i had to yeah he i mean he was an enormous influence on me although i kind of feel like it's not there anymore as much like on the new one i was thinking i don't know if there's a whole lot of i mean there may you know an influence but uh it's less detectable now which is good maybe i'm just finding my own you know but yeah i saw him two times i saw him one time i snuck in uh i have an older uh cousin who really looks a lot like me he's sort of more like a brother i guess 
and I had hit, I was 18 and the show was at the show box and I like you know used this idea and I remember just being scared shitless like this is the first time I've tried to do this swindle before and then I walked in and the guy's checking the IDs in the dark nice and I was like oh okay well, I guess this isn't going to be hard then <laughs> and it was unlike anything I've show I've seen before since in that this guy who wasn't a you know super charismatic showbiz kind of performer guy just a guy with an acoustic guitar and he just held him like and a rowdy you know sold out show box bar Spell, crowd spellbinding yeah and it was like pin drop while he played and i think it was just it was the strength of the material was just so great that it was uh it just had, he just had something I've never seen anyone have yeah, yeah. in that context. No, and then I saw him at Bumbershoot a couple of years later with a full band and that was good. But I think that that was, it was odd to see him in the key arena. And also I think that was kind of when his like drug period kind of was sort of taken hold and, you know, that was still good, but it was like bizarre kind of in a way, like yeah. something fell off about it in a, in a way. Yeah, I, I can't picture the key arena. The biggest place I ever saw him perform was the Capitol Theater. Oh, yeah. I try, at, I remember that yo short. Yeah. The last time, the yeah. like mm-hmm. 99, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we right. didn't, I remember uh, we didn't get uh, tickets soon enough. He was huge then. I remember there were in the backstage door of the Capitol theater in the alley there by the bank. Um, I remember just, there were hordes of girls and well, just people crying because they couldn't get tickets and like, you know, Capitol theater is pretty relaxed, but like that was a show that had a hard sellout. You know what I mean? Like this thing's full. You couldn't get in for instance. And I remember just people being like, so devastated that they couldn't get in. And he leveled the place again with just the acoustic guitar and a voice pin drop people crying you know it's just it's unbelievable how good he was yeah magic no question truly um, magic a true genius yeah and then i remember seeing you play shortly after another true genius yeah yeah hey i i <laughs> i'm i wouldn't say that in a joking way i think that's absolutely true that's wonderful and in mul- yeah and in multiple different uh you know, arena. yeah. Elliot Smith never painted, as far as I know. No, or had a podcast. Or, <laughs> no, he never uh, had a fucking podcast. Or was in a you know Bush Cheney themed hardcore band. <laughs> You're speaking of uh, hot dogs and hamburgers. That was a great band. Thank you. We played one show. I was there. Yeah, you were. I was there. Yeah, we played with So Damn Insane. Yeah, with Jessica. Yeah, Jessica Espolita was in yeah. that. And uh, that band was a pro-Bush, pro-war band. And we were the anti-Bush, anti-war band. Of course, they were a joke band. But uh, yeah, that was a great band. That was one of my favorite bands I was ever in. Thank you. Yeah, you, you know, I was, thinking, I was thinking before, uh, you know, when you asked me to go on this, do you remember first meeting me? Because I, me- I remember that moment vividly. I remember you the made booth no- we were in. <laughs> You made no impression on. Well, yeah, that's not surprising. But I, we were at the fourth. I was in Paul Schuster's band. Pez with Pez. Maybe that was the last incarnation. Uh, Paul Schuster, very talented musician and producer in Olympia at the time. Yeah, it was me, him, and Dan Johnson was the bass player, and I I was the drummer. 
And I remember at practice, and I can't remember who the it was you and us and someone else that i knew already maybe it was like rebecca piercy or something sure rebecca piercy yeah solo performer and wonderful seamstress who does uh oh god i can't think of the name of her business Um, queen bee queen bee queen bee productions yes wonderful handmade sewn objects she actually made my first stage outfit do you ever really? remember my shaman outfit with the fringe on it? It was black and white with like white fringe on a black sort of smock. I don't know if I remember even seeing that. I busted it out occasionally. But anyways, Rebecca Piercy sewed that for me. I don't remember seeing you perform in an outfit other than Aussie. I think I wore, the I, I wore that during my I wore that smock at the Aussie show. Actually, yeah, okay. It had the fringe like Aussie. Yeah, and yeah. I, I ate shit at that show. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't, I don't know, know Sabbath lyrics. I just don't know the lyrics. I can sing like Ozzy vaguely, but but people were bummed when you don't get the lyrics right. You know, I had to like hoist this woman who was flipping me off. This was a Black Sabbath tribute band at a Halloween show. It's just mm-hmm. after when this will air just after Halloween, and uh, there the band was C Average or, or John from C Average, Quitty, Brad Balsley was the drummer, I believe. Yeah. So that was the Sabbath band, and then I was Ozzy. And uh, they were amazing. They sounded just like Sabbath. But then I was just like, angels gathered in their passes. Just Didn't you have a little piece of paper, maybe? Yeah, it was like a little cheat sheet. Yeah, do it. So this one was flipping me off. And I, the only way I could save my rapport with the audience was pulling her up and putting her on my shoulders and, and walking her around. And then she finally was won over. Oh, yeah. But it was tough. Well, Yeah. Well, yeah. So, in so that that show when we played with you, I didn't get to see you because I was underage. So I had to stand outside in the rain waiting for Dan to come out and be like, "Hey, we're on," you know. Shit. And that, but then um, Slim set us up a show where we both played with Mary Lou Lord. Do you remember that the backstage? And you were so sick, oh, like God. really, really sick. <laughs> Why did I play? Uh, well, because you the show must go on, you right. know. Don't don't cancel shows. Mary Lou was good. Yeah, and I but I remember being impressed with your set at that because since you were so sick, obviously your like full throttle chest voice was not in operation. And so there was this little kid at the show, and you kind of sort of made the show about the interaction with this little like with this three or four year old. Oh, how sweet. And I thought that's smart. Like if you if one thing's not working, you just make it about Mm. you know making the show something else or whatever yeah, yeah look yeah. around observe and i was right. terrified that was probably one of, that was one of the first shows i played i was just oh, that's so, so cool yeah um, so you start and was that under the name the mona reels no i don't think i think it was just called peter or whatever and then like that year i believe was when i uh, started calling it Mona Reels with the idea that I wasn't going to sing all the time. And it was kind of like influenced by the how magnetic fields worked, where it's kind of one guy's material, right. but he has all these different singers. And Stephen, you know, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be just him or whatever. Did you see him when he performed at that place, that like art gallery on Fourth Avenue years ago? Uh, no, I only saw them one time and it was at, also at Bumbershoot. I don't, it, I, th- I think it was the same year that as the Elliot show hmm. when they were doing 69 love songs. So good. Promoting that. Yeah. I've been listening to it a long time. What a voice. He's got a Calvin-esque yeah. voice. Yeah. Not really Calvin-esque 
form of, for his music though no I think they're, they're coming from way different influences and slightly different aesthetics you know so you start playing and you, you become the mona reels when did you put out your first recorded thing that was in 2001 2001 uh that's the one that casey sings on casey mckee yes awesome i'm um, in touch with her all the time really i need to get yeah, back into she lives here she loves you yeah i need to i need to get a i think you know, we've messaged a couple times oh you should she's playing music nowadays she has a little group that she says they play together a year and ha- haven't written a song yet they just jam really which is cool um but uh i was just, that just made me think about the fact that I remember, you know, I went through a lot of depression and feeling bad in my life about, you know, all through my life, I've had that come up and down, not so much today, but in the past. And I used to be really jealous of people and envious. And I remember once seeing you play and saying to Casey, like, I should just fucking quit music. Like, what is the <laughs> fucking point? Like, Peter David Connolly is I'll never in a, in a thousand lifetimes be even half as good as that guy. And he, nobody even knows who he is. So like, what's the fucking point, you know? Like, and she was like, Jason, everybody's just different. They're all just different. But just to let you know, you know, like I, I that's the way, I, the regard I held you in. Of course, now I celebrate your skill. But back then I felt like a scarcity mentality. I was like, God damn it. I felt the same way as seeing Elliot Smith too, where I was just like, what's the fucking point of trying to write songs? Man, I I felt that way last night. <laughs> at a show. Listening to who or seeing who? Oh, I went and saw this uh, four band show at McCoy's last night, and three of the bands were uh, have these same two guys. Uh, one of which is a is a friend of mine, and you know it wasn't. It's not. It wasn't like it's not like jealousy as much as just like shit. They're so good. Like I can't. You know. Like and younger than me and yeah like you are to me yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah but it, but it's not that competitive because i i play their record right, at home yeah so if you're really feeling that yeah you know if you got an axe to grind with it you're probably not gonna throw the cd on right no so no yeah. i mean yeah and now it's like anybody who blows my mind it's just it, i i just feel so much joy to feel the joy of somebody blowing my mind it's like oh my god it just makes you want to get that much better at your own thing all the time. Yeah. Isn't that something that's one of the main things that they sort of, I've sort of, you know, dipped my toe in, you know, Eastern philosophy and, and, you know, sort of Buddhist oriented texts and stuff. Mm-hmm. One of which was in a class I was taking at Evergreen, but that's, you know, there, there's a lot about how, how poisoning those feelings can be when you're, you know, when you're coveting something someone else has rather than just appreciating what you have offer and right i mean i I don't study buddhism as much as i study non-duality advaita vedanta whatever you call practitioners of that practice like nisargadatta maharaj um ramana maharshi and one of the things that that's all about primarily well the main thing it's about is just saying like oh everything's one thing you know you you are not you you are the thing you experience this whole this whole range of experience that's what you are it's not what's inside the skin it's the perception it's consciousness and all consciousness is one and so with that you go if that's really the truth of how i see reality how i experience reality then being jealous of someone else doesn't fit 
it's like at, yeah. it's at odds with that reality. It's like you're going to say that there's this other person that has and it's like no it's all one thing i celebrate them they celebrate me whether they know me or not you know through being creative and through the creative process and dealing with the imagination too which to me is like that's the thing the source from which all this shit comes and that's not yeah. belong to any person it's not a personal imagination it's the capital t i the imagination yeah and that i would think that that maybe has influenced some of your music well, yeah, and it's in the past. own your own psychic universe. Yeah, you remember that? Wow, that's that, a deep. Cut. Yeah, is that the is that the last album you made, or have you made? Well, that was something since? I just burned on CDs for a few people. I never released that in any have at, at all. That's wonderful. I, I'm revisiting. I'm actually working on songs now. I've got a whole huge batch of songs that I wrote during COVID, and your album has inspired me to go. Okay, I mean, among other things, of course, but. Uh, to go, okay, let's put these things out. Let's get this together. And sort of like when I was talking about uh, before we began our conversation, we we had a little pre-interview talk to, te- to check the levels, and we were talking about my paintings mm-hmm. because you saw them behind me. And I was uh, mentioning that I'm in this phase now where I'm finishing all this work that I've done a bunch of work on in the past but never really kind of completed them. I'm doing the same thing with these this body of music here pretty soon. And like I said, inspired partly by your example. Well, thank you. Do you have um, do you have the experience when you finish? Every time I feel like I finish a project, it sort of creeps up on you. Like I think, like, okay, well, I finished that song. Finished mixing that one. Wait, I mixed all of them. Wait, I've got an album. Like I get, I'm done. I guess. Yeah. Like it, I never think like, here we go. This is the last guitar I'm doing or whatever. Like it never seems to happen that way. Right. Just like yeah. you're surprised. Like, I guess I'm done. There's nothing left to do here. Yeah. I love that feeling. It's yeah. That so definitely good. happened this, this last time. It was like a little guitar overdub on what ended up being the last song. And then I mixed that song and I was like, I think I'm done. Like, I think that's, that's so the cool. end. And then it took a long time to figure out a sequence. That I was messing with that for a long time. Yeah, whenever um, I did albums, I often would relinquish that to someone else's. Like I would like I remember my album I put out on K, My Religion is Love. Uh, I had Pete Kramiak. I just sent him all the songs and said, You arrange them in order and I'll just do you you do the sequencing is the arrangement of songs on an album if if people don't know, so he like put them in order and I think I might have switched two of those choices and been like nah this one for that one and then I was like bam that's just done letting an outsider just go this is what I hear I like that yeah I did I was not willing to relinquish that control <laughs> this time around I don't think I would be today but yeah at that time it helped me yeah. Um, also the, and maybe this won't make sense, you know, for anyone listening who hasn't heard the record, but the way that it starts, I knew that there was no other place to put that first song with the, even though it's seven minutes long, I knew there was no, just that, you know, it has a sort of statement of being like, here I am, you know, thanks for listening to this or, you know, well, you're Um, such a student of classic albums that you, you know, you just know where, how to go. I love that kind of seven yeah, minute was, opening because it's sort of like let's, let's tell the whole story in the first song and then go from there. Yeah, with the expectation that someone's going to listen to the whole thing, which is not always the case, obviously in this day and age. But I know. recommend people start getting back into the habit of that, you know, because yeah. albums, albums like yours deserve a, a headphone listen. It feels really good that 
you know, in the with all the older ones, I never really gave a shit about any promotion at all. I would just make like a hundred CDRs, hand cut out the cover, and that was good. I'd just give it to my friends. And then this time, I just felt like I really know that there's like, you know, it might be not be a lot of people's bag, and I understand that, but I, I knew that it there really was an audience for this and it was the best thing I'd made and that I shouldn't just let it croak no. like like the other ones. And well, Toby's to, been and pushing it, it. Yeah, she's I mean, well she's like one of the be- best friends I've ever had in my life. And you know, regardless of that, it yeah, it means a lot to me that she, you know, when did when did you, you and she meet? Um I think I met her in front of the old Bad Dwarf and Bronson. That's how I recall it anyway. I can't remember if that was before or after I was in her sister's band. Cause that's when I started to get to know her was when uh I joined Maggie's band. Maggie's band called Bangs, yeah. Bangs, not the Bangs, Bangs. Bangs. And I was the third or fourth drummer they'd had they'd made records before. I'm just on the last last record that they made. But that was the first time I toured was was you with the them. country with them yeah with the makers the first oh, yeah. tour i was on was were uh, we were opening for the makers on a u.s tour did you did you oh, do it, it at shows outside of the country no we were supposed to do like a lady fest european tour and i got my passport and everything and it got canceled at the last minute i can't remember why it wasn't anything to do with me but it got canceled the last minute, and I remember they were really pissed off, like the people who who put it together. And I still have not ever gone on a European tour. That's insane. Yeah. Hopefully, one's in the near future with this new album, Lady Fest, founded by Allison Wolf, previous Traeger Method podcast guest. Mm-hmm. And I haven't also, listened to that one yet. Oh, it's a good one. That's the only one I'm I've sure. ever done. That's the only one I've ever done in person without zooming. Oh um was it wait is there a video because is this come out on video in some plot yeah no. i didn't think so i've been yeah. listening to it on spotify and yeah it's only audio only but uh maybe yeah. something in the future with video but i don't i like just the audio yeah but anyways yeah. um speaking of bangs it would be i would be remiss not to mention my own uh experience with that band um which was pretty life-changing i went on a tour with them prior to you being in the band Mm-hmm. and who's on, the drummer then uh jesse oh okay yeah yeah and we did a full national tour and it was um the best of times and the worst of times <laughs> the best of times being the tour but then sarah the singer guitarist and i we like basically like fell in love on the tour and it ended my marriage and uh. ended her relationship with a very good friend of mine and led to the most catastrophic like social like meltdown of my life and emotional too yeah well i was dating you maybe mentioned that to me a long time ago but not in that detail yeah um life-changing yeah well those things happen you know yes they do um yeah, <laughs> nothing like that's happened to me on tour but <laughs> it's good it's not, yeah. it's not it's it's like it's one of those things that like i remember actually like after that all happened and the the horror of it was unfolding when we got home and you know we just both like sarah and i quickly saw like oh we have to just dedicate ourselves to the people that we're that we love and care about you know and get through those breakups and uh but i remember her partner chad like 
you know, telling me like, do you, is this something you do? You know, he was just so upset with me, rightfully so. And he was like, is this just something you do? You know, tell me you're never going to do this again. And I never, ever did that again. You never like cheated on, when it wasn't just, it's beyond cheating, but it's just like breaking someone's heart that way and just not being able to handle it up front and can face like your situation and deal with it emotionally just to have to like cause a catastrophe. Terrible. But, you know, I totally forgive myself, of course. I'm, I was like, yeah. whatever, you know. Well, it's also a long time ago. And, long ass time ago. And you're obviously have uh, mended fences with your ex-wife because she went on your. Yeah. On your uh, we mended fences, you know, pretty much immediately. It was just painful, you know. Yeah. Because you love someone and you see this change and it's like, oh, my God, it's just something I wanted to avoid. But uh, but yeah. And yeah, looking back, I mean, that tour, it was a magical tour and so much of it was wonderful. I mean, I had such a good time and it was beautiful to like fall in love in its own way. But knowing that it's all going to end when you get home and it's all just going to be a catastrophe. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't imagine what it would be like to go through that. Terrible. Um, yeah. Uh, was, was, that awesome. just the, was that just the two of you or was there someone else on that? No, it was, I was the second band because I was like oh, okay. opening the shows as a solo artist. I so it was know, Bangs was, headlining that tour. And Jason Traeger, yeah. Okay. Solo. And yeah, it was just us and we had fantastic time. We did the whole country pretty much, you know, the South, the East Coast, Midwest, everything. Yeah, that must have been before I knew any of y'all because uh, I only saw Bangs a couple of times before I was in it. I saw them a couple of times when Kyle uh was their drummer and then i was playing in a i i started playing in a band with dave with sarah and dave harvey and uh this guy kevin which was sort of like nudity before it was kind of the same sort of musical concept as nudity but it was called the arm and then through that after kyle quit uh bangs i'd already since i'd already played with sarah you know, I got the uh, connection there. And I remember her calling me and asking me if I wanted to play with her and Maggie. And I was like, am I getting asked to audition for band? Like, are they starting a new band or am I getting asked to audition for them? And then she, I saw Sarah at a show and she told me a couple songs to learn. And then we had uh, our first practice at the Phoenix house where, where I lived at the time. And I was so nervous that I like dry heaved in the bathroom <laughs> before going down there. And we played one, I think it was the first song in their first record. And right after we played Maggie sort of turned to me and was like, well, can you tour? And I was like, yes, I got it. You know, awesome. I, you know, I'm in the band. So cool. Cause they seemed like, I mean, they were had real records out and they yeah. were on a label and toured and, you know, really seemed to have their, you know, have their shit together a oh, lot yeah. more than I did, you know. Well, Maggie and Sarah are both like consummate rockers, you know. Yeah. You know, Sarah's, Sarah's guitar, that white SG. It used to be yours, right? I yeah. sold it to her for 300 bucks. Well, yeah, that was her like on stage image. Yeah. Was that guitar and a lightning bolt strap yeah. and that was her thing, you know. That guitar. Yeah. It was like it was like a 1980 reissue and uh I always wanted an SG when I was a teenager and stuff. I wanted one so bad and I've never owned one. And now I don't really care that much, but I always thought they look weird on tall guys. Oh, I can Like they that. look small like it looks like, you know, in Spinal Tap where he's playing the miniature guitar or whatever. Yeah. That's that's how I felt. 
like with an SG. But then when it's like Angus Young or like someone short or whatever, it looks awesome on them, you know? Yeah, it looks so big on Angus. Yeah. Did I ever tell you I met Angus Young? Yeah, I think so. What? What? How did that happen again? My friend Cliff Lipman, who I spoke about with Star, the late Cliff Lipman, who died uh, back in that era of San Francisco, he got a job in that when the big major thing was kicking off with Nirvana in San Francisco in the nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. They headhunted not only bands, they also headhunted like people from labels, indie labels and radio stations and stuff. And so Cliff being a DJ at KOSF was headhunted by a major, I guess it was Atlantic cause that's who ACDC was on mm-hmm. Atco, Atco. Um, and, uh, so anyways, ACDC was coming and he's like, Hey, I can get you, you know, f- full backstage pass and everything to the show. It was a razor's edge tour and me and Renee Vandermeer, who was the singer of, uh, BGK, the amazing Dutch hardcore band. Um, he was a huge ACDC head like me. I mean, I, that was one of the, my pe- one of the only celebrity people I've ever met where I was actually like pinch me, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I met like Neil Young and shit and it wasn't like pinch me. It was like, Oh, there's this slovenly guy, you know, who seems cool <laughs> or Metallica or something. They're just dudes. But like, but like meeting Angus Young, I was like, this is Angus fucking young. Yeah. Did you hear their last, the record they just put out? This the like rock this and roll year? train. Uh, God, I can't remember where I can't remember. Oh, it's called power, power up. Power it's up. good. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good. Like They're shockingly back good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably like the best one since the eighties. I'm sure. Yeah. No, no, it is good. Yeah. Rock and roll train. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. They're so fucking good and live. It was amazing. The, Never the, seen them. Oh God. Too bad. Probably too late too. Well, I remember on the razor. Yeah. Well, post Malcolm, it's a whole different thing, but, um, yeah. But um, yeah, that show at the Cow Palace, the, uh, Razor's Edge, it was so awesome because we saw them at that show. They were incredible. And then like a year and a half later, they came back on the same tour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've been touring yeah. straight for a year and a half, and then they're back doing the second show at the Cow Palace. We saw them again. They were in fucking insane. And I'm just looking at Brian Johnson going like, this motherfucker just sang for a year and a half that way. How is that possible? Or see, And in that angle. style, yeah, that throat tearing sort superhuman of. and angus young's energy the level the amount he put out that's what inspired me to get my first guitar it was a brown sg i bought it at a little music store on the coast highway in encinitas and i, I paid 50 dollars a month bus boying until i had it so were you was that sort of like your first you know taste of getting hooked into rock or was you, did you get into punk first or or oh, yeah yeah well my my first rock was Jimi hendrix and the beatles it was like my obsession yeah. as a preteen. Jimi hendrix the beatles a little beach boys my stepmom had beach boys records that i loved she also was the one that gave me the Jimi hendrix experience um i still have that copy it has her name written on it the beatles and Jimi hendrix gave way to punk yeah and wings was huge for me too because mm-hmm. you know, post beatles they were like my shit but um yeah then as soon as i discovered punk i was like oh this is the thing that's not in the past it's in the present yeah that's that's kind of how gr- the grunge stuff was right. for me it like it was the first music that i liked that my parents did not and it that's always a big moment for anyone i'm sure Plus, like when yeah. they have that you know the thing that pisses off their parents even though my, i and i love my i have a great relationship with my parents i wouldn't want to you know present that any other way and they ended up appreciating nirvana a lot sure. later sure. but at the time it was just noisy and shitty yeah. I, i'm sure they thought 
Yeah, I remember my mom's issue with punk. She liked the you know energy and and she respected that. But I remember her listening to like Minor Threat and being like, I don't know about all the swearing. Like, do they have to? Sw- swearing just seems like a lack of imagination. And I was, like, I sometimes <laughs> think that. I still sometimes think that there isn't a single swear word on Without Love. Every song is FCC friendly, unless calling someone a prick is a bad word. No, that That's in one it. song, but. No. Yeah. But I and you know at when we were talking about Elliot Smith he used it great because it would be he didn't a lot like it no. would just he would choose a spot where it would actually you know give yeah. weight to what he was what he was saying you know and he wasn't screaming the word either it was always yeah. like whisper singing just yeah. no he was yeah the greatest Do you think that he's the got the crown for self-deprecating like to you know two line like some of the stuff in his songs i think like that's as much of a self put down as you could possibly have like oh, when yeah. they when they clean the street i'll be the only shit that's left behind Incredible. like you know you know i can't really listen to his stuff much anymore after he i mean there's it's too heavy it, yeah yeah well but at the time like when he was still alive like yeah it would be heavy and and the songs would be sad and stuff but he, it still seemed like he was like a fight like a survivor right because even though the songs were a bummer a lot of times were melancholy and stuff he was, there would be a new album like every year every year and a half like he's so prolific that you knew you know it's and then you know with him not being around it just became sad so i right. don't i still have the records and stuff but i don't really listen to them maybe that's a good thing maybe that's yeah. helped me clear that influence yeah to some degree yeah, there was a there was definitely a yeah, that exactly. That's a really keen observation. Like the fact that the music was coming so steadily and prolifically, you go, well, he's going through it and he's showing up still and and he's still releasing one beautiful thing after another. Yeah, and writing 40 songs to get 12. That's yeah. always a good if you can do that. That I think that's part of why uh I feel that Without Love is my best record because I had way more songs than I needed. Like yeah. I, had, I had easily as many that I didn't put on right. um, and just chose the ones I thought were really strong. And that that's the uh, way to do things. That's the way to do any creative thing, I think, is have like more than you need. I always do that with painting shows. You know, I'll make twice as many paintings. I'll pick out kind of twice as many to work on to figure out for the show, which I do have a show hanging next month at World Famous Original Gallery. I have to plug that um, up on Division Street in Portland. But, Do you um, ever feel like you chose the wrong one sometimes? No, never. Really? You always made the right decision? Well, it's a show like any. It's just a show. You know, you put yeah. together some things. It's like it's like playing a show. You know, you don't like agonize over like what songs I'm going to play tonight. Oh, was that the right choice? Did I make or break the show? It's like, no, that was the set that night. And you did what you did. And that, that's what it was. And so like doing a show of paintings, it's the same way. It's like, yeah, just whatever it was, that was the right choice. And, you know. Cool. Do you remember the show that the one show that we played in our band? We the, were in a band for a minute. There's that together. the Smith the Smith group? The Smith group or it was called Step World or something. Step never, World, yeah, Step World. I never remember which <laughs> which one we're in. But we played one show at the ABC house and we had rehearsed your the one thing I remember is we had rehearsed your song "Bong of Reality," <laughs> That's and then we forgot toke. to play it at the show, Classic. which was a really harsh joke on the "Bong of Reality." We forgot to play it. 
It's a harsh toke on the bong of reality. Yeah, and we all we had a part where we all sang that chorus and stuff. Oh god, we have we have to do that song. There's a couple songs from that era. Well, there's a number of them that I want to revisit in my new musical, uh, my my upcoming musical career, Um, and that's one of them. Like my novelty songs, like that, just straight up joke songs. And then the other one is Sex Chicken. Remember that? Sex Chicken, yeah. Yeah, and I and I recorded a demo of that for for you in my bedroom. Do you have a copy came over of that? and demoed your new songs, and that was one of them. Do you have a copy of that demo? No, God, and I wish I had that. One of the housemates that I lived there with at the time threw away all of my cassettes just to make room, which I'm pissed <laughs> off about to this day. Like a cassette uh, tape doesn't take up that much room. Well, it was like a little box of tapes, and they just oh. thought it was garbage, so they threw it to the you know put it took it to the dump and if they had looked for two seconds so they would have seen that my name was on all of them so you know uh, whatever it's got it's yeah it's just well, we'll have to we'll have to uh sex chicken's not dead it's just just been in a time uh, whatever pocket here for a while it's coming yeah out. it's We're not gonna... it's not dead in my memory no we'll figure it out it'll strut again the That's first a... time that i saw you perform when it wasn't you know the first time when i couldn't get into the show and then the second time when you were really sick i remember seeing you at the abc house uh and it was really packed and you did you incorporated into your set refugee the tom petty song really uh, for a moment and you also incorporated i want it that way you did i want oh, it yeah. that way i recall doing that you are my fire yeah. you got them all singing along and yeah. and I know <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, that's a good one. It is, yeah. Max Martin, he was a influence on me. The, oh. he's the you know tycoon of teen yeah. in this you know era. Oh, yeah. I think he's behind Lennon and McCartney now in success as a songwriter. Like Madness. those are the only people ahead of him in yeah. hits or whatever. Yeah, that's always been a, you know, when I think about my own musical, you know, who I am musically, like um, what my biggest streams of influence are, I have to always put like ABBA. Yeah. The, the reason I'm not just a straight rocker, like Quiddy and, and Sean or something where it's like, you know, tight bros, like rock and roll. Like for me, there's always a pop sensibility and element in there. And I have to say, I think ABBA, well, obviously the Beatles too and all that stuff, but but ABBA and that kind of pure pop is is huge for me. And that music, I feel like falls in that lineage, you know, of that, like the art. Oh, yeah. Swedish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like irresistible. Exactly. That, you know, like, just undeniably, you can't not like it. Even if you want to hate it and yeah. and the way obviously those that pop music is was marketed and still yeah. is is pretty loathsome. Yeah. But but uh that doesn't mean that those songs aren't gonna get just jammed in your head. Right. Or- and the heaviness of pop, like when you listen to like Knowing Me, Knowing You, like the kind of guitar and the 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 dark melodies of like a the darkness of ABBA, you know, like mm-hmm. that's that 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 particular space that like dark pop robin i think of robin nowadays and like the electronic pop kind of thing mm-hmm. you know that kind of shit i just love so much yeah there's a new abba album coming out in I a few know. days it's insane uh have you listened to the songs they've put out no yeah the the 
they put out a couple like a month ago and those didn't really hook me which yeah. i thought was because that's what they're all about is right and then there another one came out a few days ago and i was like oh, okay that sounds like a classic obviously like gotta hear i'm it. planning on buying the album Got like it. for sure i have all the other ones i mean did you ever watch or do you know much about like Agonita Fogstadt? Uh, and did she had a, I heard a really bad stalker problem. Is that true? Well, it's more than that. She had a crazy stalker. There's a documentary about this. I believe the BBC put it out and it's, she had a crazy stalker who like moved to rural Sweden to like be near her. And then mm-hmm. she ended up marrying him. Whoa. I didn't know that detail. Yeah. She married the flipping stalker. She's still married? No, 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 no. It's over. But it was like one of those stories where you're going, oh my God, weird. But you should check it out. I believe it's on YouTube. That's, I think, where I watched it a few years ago. But uh, yeah, but all of Ava, I go and jags with them every now and then where I'll just like like watch the Australian Abba footage because they were big everywhere. You know, they're huge in the world. In the 70s, Abba was dominant. But in Australia, they were, you know, you've seen Muriel's Wedding probably. Uh, no, I did. I haven't. You haven't? I, no. You got to put that on your list. It's one of the most charming and amazing movies and, and deep movies you'll ever see. Muriel's Wedding. Yeah, I, I saw the movie that they made where it's all about an Australian tour and they're, you know, enormous. and every, You know, when you were talking about the when you did Black Sabbath for the Halloween tribute band, I've done that a number of times in recent years. And the last one that we did, which was at a house show, was ABBA. We were in, we did a, a sort of stripped down. I mean, any any yeah. attempt at doing that was going to be stripped <laughs> down. But I, I was the drummer. And that was in some ways the hardest one I've ever done because you just cannot fuck up even a no. tiny bit. Like you have to be metronome. Like I remember someone asking me like before the show, like, you want to drink? And I was like, no. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. No, no, you know, no, I have to be, you know, it's not just a groove based uh, Charlie Watts play behind the beat. No, it's like, yeah, it's yeah, because it, yeah, everyone floor. knows those songs. So if you make a little bit of mistake, all heads are going to turn on, yeah. you know, what, hey, what's going on there, you know. No, it's not the replacements. It's Abba. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and the one we had done before we did Zeppelin, that wasn't as hard. No. And you would think, I mean, also, I, I can't play like, you know, I did the best I could, but I can't play like, you know, no one can play like John Bonham or no, just a pale. But like still, that guy. seemed like looser. Like if you made a little bit of a mistake sure. there, that would be like fitting. But yeah, blues based rock, you know, it's not polished Swedish pop. Yeah, it's no. always going to be a little more. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, who was in the ABBA band with you? Who were the vo- vocal? Did you sing as well as drums? No, no, no too, I too, too I hard, had my yeah. hands full. Just you know, it's I, crazy I did, that they wouldn't use you as a singer though, because you got such a good melodic sensibility and pitch. Yeah, and then I could do like some of the guy, you know, the guys' parts or whatever. Yeah, like the you know, Benny and Bjorn. They take it. We didn't do take a chance on me, but that would have been take a chance, take take a chance, yeah. take, take a chance. Yeah. Uh, we did Super Trooper. Super. That has a part where the guys sing. Little Trooper yeah. Scooper. <laughs> yeah. That's how I always sing it. When, I, when I'm walking my dog and he shits, sometimes I'll say, Little Super Trooper, I'm your Pooper Scooper. Oh, you're a dog owner. Yeah, I'm a co-parent with a wonderful seven-pound dog. Do you still do comedy shows? 
Occasionally, I did two comedy shows uh, a couple, well, probably a month ago. I did open for Atsuko Okatsuka, who is a hilarious comedian. And I performed with my friend Milan Patel at a show he did. Um, I kind of get pulled out. Like if somebody calls me up and is like, you want to do this show? I can reconstitute a set pretty good and make up new stuff. It's not something I'm pursuing as a career, you know? Yeah, I missed your set. Uh, The last time we actually spoke i think was when you were in olympia and you performed at the uh northern i think yes that was a fun and i had to work i got there i got there but it was you had already gone on i remember talking to you a little bit after that i was working at desire video at the time that's a whole other series of stories you could you know, that's this is, that's an, the, this is an adult video store, adult video <laughs> store, which, you know, and it was at the time when those were all gone. Like no one watched, you know, porn yeah. and a video anymore. Yeah, it's the hardcore. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was very edu- That was the most educational job I've ever had in my life. Like as to- far as society. And yeah. Did you have to work the mop? Uh, yeah, you did, but you didn't, it wasn't like people think, you know, like it was like, you know, a dark sort of like badly painted sort of cement room. And so you did work them up, but you didn't see anything like you didn't know. You were, know, there, you peep, know. were there peep shows there? Like there was or... video, there were like, there would be booths in the back yeah. where you had to pay. And, and that was the part I liked the least about the job was we had a task where we had to go into the back <laughs> and uh check all the dvd players to make that they were running on to make sure that they were still working and so you'd see like a second or two of what everyone was yeah. watching and i'd just be like oh oh <laughs> glove up yeah but to put a glove over your eyes too yeah i mean but you know when i when because you know as i'm sure you've experienced it's hard to get a job in olympia Oh yeah. And so and so I had a friend who was managing there and she was like, Well, we're hire- hiring a desire. Like maybe you want to work there. And I was, you know, in a relationship at the time and I was thinking, like, I don't know. Like, is this gonna like, you know, fuck with my head so bad that <laughs> but then after being there for like a week or two, I was relieved to find that it's just so stupid. Yeah. Like this, you know, and it's it's just not reality and yeah. It just couldn't really affect me because that's a whole, you know, that's a whole other set of circumstances. Did you ever have people come in that you knew and were like, saw you and were like, oh, shit, um, I didn't I, know you worked here. Yeah, I did. But usually they weren't embarrassed or anything. They'd be like, like, oh, yeah. that's funny. Off. You know, the, you were. But the thing that I was the most educational, I'll probably drop the subject after this, but was so the situation when I worked there was we didn't have any product or anything and the dickhead guy who owned it was uh had this dream of just turning it into a strip club which he managed to do for like three months until the city shut it down and so he was just keeping it open for ages with this dream of turning into a strip club and so we didn't really have any product hardly and it was just sort of like a room in the back for you know men who are into other men to cruise yeah and so the, the thing that was crazy was that the female employees who worked there never really got hassled much at all, oh, right. but the guys really did. Mm. And so it was kind of like society turned around. Like it was like the, where it was easy for them, but it would be like me and the other male employees would be the ones like quit fucking rubbing up against me, yeah. quit like 
you know, waiting for me to walk by and leaving the door open, you know, with whatever, it's just like fucking like, get the fuck away from me. And it was just a tiny little glimpse into what maybe, maybe it might be. I wouldn't obviously say that I'd have any idea what it would be like to be female bodied, but it was just a tiny little, like, wow, that's, I can't believe you got to deal with that shit all the time. Like that's a little taste. Yeah. Yeah. That fear. Yeah. I remember there was like one person that would always like, Cause you had to, you could only use ones in the booth. Yeah. So they always had to make change. And there's one guy who would like change a five at a time over and over just so he could have the yeah. contact with me. And I would just like, when you'd come in and be like, why don't you just change the whole 20 <laughs> right now? Let's just give you 20 ones. And then you Some don't more you FaceTime. Know. That's pretty yeah. fun. That's funny. Yeah. It's good to have that perspective though. You know? Yeah, no, it was, that's why I say it was, uh, you know, there, I've had many other job, you know, working for this, like a state job or whatever, done that a little bit when not a legit state job, but yeah. like a, a kid state job. And you'd think, did, that you, that ever, would, did you ever work like the, uh, legislative meetings? No, I had a, the job I had was where you called the uh, farmers and ranch hands in Washington and did the stat uh you know collect oh, okay. you're a telephone enumerator I that's see. what it was I you guess. know brant brant sandino and i uh, of unwound and uh what's the knife band called survival knife survival knife that was a wonderful band and a great name him and justin from unwound another unwounder they did that great band um Brant and I worked at the uh, state capitol for the judiciary committee, running the meetings, you know, putting together the meetings and all the stuff that goes along with them. That was so interesting. Yeah. What, like, what was, uh, what well, just you, seeing your... the inner workings of like the people and the personalities that form government, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and just seeing how government worked, you know, like the, the, that element of it, the hearings and stuff and all the, the meetings, the public meetings and, yeah, and just seeing that, oh, it's all people, you know. But we had a great time. We laughed laughed and joked around so much. I'll talk with Brant on the podcast, I'm sh- I hope, in the future. I'm, I'm- oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and speaking also another person who was a very big influence on me as a kid. I met, I met him and Justin on the Millennium. Oh, at the at the Millennium Party at Dan at the, Johnson's house. Oh, was that you? Didn't go to the uh, Lucky Seven? No, I don't think I was invited. And I and I before I met them, we sort of jammed. We had like a little jam in the basement at oh, Dan's fun. house, and then I met uh, those guys. I met all the all of you all right around that the Millennium. That That's was so when cool. I met so many of the olympians that were influential to me it was right you know 99 2000 great timing i remember that new year's eve very well because it was the millennium the 2000 and uh i remember going to the lucky seven house classic olympia venue and house Mm. no longer there no longer there so many incredible that should be a national historical registry um and i remember i took lsd and made out with Allison Wolf being on LSD and watching the TV when they showed like Times Square mm-hmm. and just, just the raining of the uh, confetti and like the look down the street, like the avenues in Times Square with the rain and just seeing a face in that confetti, you know, and, and streamers and just going like, that is the face of the future. 
<laughs> I am witnessing. I'm seeing the actual face of the future, and that was yeah. And you face. might you might have been correct too. I right? saw it. it Maybe was that was the face of the face future. Of the future. <laughs> um, I don't know why that made me think of this, but I also wanted to ask you, as someone who you know is creative in so many different uh, mediums, yes. Do you feel that I feel like the the best thing in a lot of ways to me in creative wise is really not being comfortable? Say that again. Say that question one more time. Like 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 creating art in a way like you don't have a really nice studio with everything set up and you book time and you set up the drums and they're just there and it's everything's, you know, you got catering or whatever, like however, like successful bands, artists do it where everything's sort of set up for them. I always felt like I did better when it was because like this without love record was literally me carrying, I don't drive. So it was like me carrying mic stands to and from my apartment to the rehearsal space. And you know, a lot of the stuff I used on it was like, I pulled out, of, literally pulled out of the bins, like the Goodwill bins. I'd find even like amps and a couple of times there Amazing. and stands and stuff. Well, I would say this. Um, one thing that I think is always true, no, literally no matter what you have access to in terms of material comforts and equipment, et cetera, is that there's always, <clears throat> there's always limitations. Yeah. In every single setup in life, there's always a limitation, you know? And you're always working with limitations. And when the limitations are really explicit and obvious, like what you're talking about, that's just that style. And when the limitations are less so, that's that style. And you can make great work in any of those situations. It, it doesn't determine whether the work's going to be good. It's just part of what makes that work what it is. And so, you know, getting comfortable with that and not feeling a sense of poverty because of your situation, instead going like embracing it and going like, you know, as much great, most of the great music that I like comes from serious limitations. Yeah, and very little like of it is punk, like punk, and, like punk. But yeah. then I also love ABBA, which at the point that they were making those records probably didn't have hardly any limitations in terms of budget and availability of musicians, etc. And that music's just as good. One's a four track thing or the Beatles or whatever. You know, you can transcend your limitations. You can use them to your benefit um, as long as you don't feel impoverished because of it or hung up on it. You know, that's where you have problems when you're going, oh, this sucks. You know, we need a 24 piece orchestra, not a 12, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I've never had that luxury. Right. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my take on it. And you got to embrace that. And it's same thing with like your own talent and your time of life. You know, like I like doing stand up comedy, the comedy club here for helium would have me um, be, a, I was invited to be, to do kind of teaching comedy before open mics occasionally um, with other comics. They would do it too. We called it, I don't know, office hours type of thing. But so, so people starting out could come and pick your brain about comedy, you know, as somebody who does it a little. And I remember a lot of times people would say to me stuff like, oh, I just want to skip ahead to be as good as you are. And, you know, what's the fastest way to get there? You know, and I just don't want to, you know, suck. And I don't want to do all these. And I was like, embrace being brand new fully, you know, because you're only brand new once, you know, if you yeah. do comedy for 15 years, you're only ever going to be in your first year once, you know, so don't try and skip over it or get ahead of it, you know, because that's just frustration. You just 
really embrace where you're at right now and lean into it and have the most fun and pay attention to it and enjoy it because you know, you'll only be three years in once. You'll only be 10 years in once. And that's the other thing. It's like embrace that, embrace your limitations and go from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to think. And especially enjoying something, you know, while i that's something I feel like I've gotten better at in later years. Like I was in this, uh, rock and roll punk sort of band called Rick and the pigs for a couple mm-hmm. of years. Um, and we made, we went on tour five times, the hardest touring band I've ever been in actually, like we toured five times in like 18 months. Wow. And, uh, and it, you know, I knew right from the beginning, like this isn't a band that's going to be around 10 years, right? Like this is just not going to happen. So I just remember thinking like, try to have a good time while it's going, you know, like this, this is only going to be this moment. So you better enjoy it. You know, I think I did a pretty good job of that. It's the key to life, really. That right there is the key to life. It's hard to do. It though. can it's be. Hard, you know, it's hard not to see. And even in making the Without Love record, I was always, and this isn't a bad thing necessarily, but I was I was always seeing the end. The fin- I was like, just keep pushing. Yeah. You got to keep going until you get, you know, like, because I, I was just so tired of it being a work in progress. I wanted it to be a, a finished thing. And just like, yeah. keep you're, you're, the finish line. You'll get there. Just keep going for it, you know? Yeah. Well, you did, and it all pays off. And all those albums and, and recordings and experiences you had prior to this that you were saying you didn't like as much or could always find faults in, um, all of those things lead you to where you are now and making that uh, the album you just made, which is, in my opinion, a masterpiece. And the world should hear it. Um, but yeah, you had to go through it just like I had to go through what I went through. You know, that's what we do. And it's just always, once you get to a place where things are cooking and you do feel a sense of satisfaction, it doesn't fucking matter if you put out shitty albums or if you did songs you don't fully like, or it's all part of the the thing you're heading towards. You had to do it. And I'm so glad that you did all that work to get to where you are. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's scary a little bit in another way because being kind of satisfied for the first time, I was a little bit like, uh-oh, like right. now, now what happens? Cause I always, every time you're trying to do something that was better than the one before. And now I'm at the first point where it's like, I don't know if I, that might be as good as I can do. Like, right. I don't know if I can have like, had to have anything that I want to try. I really want to make a double record. That's always oh, been yeah. a, a goal of mine, but you gotta be, <laughs> have a lot of inspiration. <laughs> To come up with 90 minutes of music, you know? You might want to bring in some help, but if anybody can do it, I'd make a good one. It would be you by themselves, I mean. Um, But yeah, I would bring in some some collaborators for that. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Because you don't want to make a crumb. You don't want to make a, well, it should have been a single. A crummy double album. Yeah. Or like side three kind of sucks. You kind of might want to skip that one. Or What are, besides the White Album, what are your favorite double albums of all time? Well, the one- the one that was obvious, I think by far the biggest influence on me was something, anything the Todd Rundgren record no, that really is a, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of still stands to me as like something I aspire to. And I do think that that, especially since that's very much in the pop the oddball pop songwriter kind of bag, you know? Yeah. I'll listen um, to that. Yeah. And yeah, that it's Zen arcade. I was going to, that was going to be my pick. You know, that, that always, you know, that's a big one. 
Um, you know, they're probably like, if I, if I mention my favorite double records, it probably makes me sound like a square classic rock, you know, like blonde on blonde and it's amazing electric lady land. Oh my God. I'm trying to think of one more. I can't think of it though, but yeah, those are all. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And then in the CD era, they started making what were essentially double records, but they're just filling up the CD length. And that was a lot of bad ones there. Yeah. Too much. Like, like Oasis would put out like a 75 minute long record or whatever. And it would yeah. just be like. It's a 90 minute chili peppers CD. Yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little yeah. different, a little different than the white album. Yeah. <laughs> probably has its moments, but probably could have been a single. Disc. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, we've been talking quite a while and uh, I think we've covered a lot of really wonderful stuff and I think I've pushed your album. I hope I've pushed it on people enough. Yeah. And thank you so much uh, for your help in doing that. It's, I really want to, you know, like anyone, I just would like to have it reach as many people as possible. That's what it's all and about. I, and I would hope it would be, you know, for the sake of someone who likes it, not for me, not to, you know, get attention for myself. Oh, it's, the music. it's the music. Yeah. I want to, I want to the make songs say hopefully the songs are your children you want them to have a good life and meet a lot of cool people and and uh i will hope hopefully usher some people your way where can people what is your preferred way for people to hear this album is it through spotify well it's on spotify and that's great my preferred way i because i made cassettes and cds uh and a lot of you know my peers like he made cds why it's like a dead you know i don't even have a cd player anymore but i wanted to have at least some kind of physical release that sounded good and wouldn't take a year which is what vinyl yeah, kind of right. is at right now right I've heard um, of the vinyl so my preferred way would be if someone bought one and you can get those at our Bandcamp site um and then i ship them out the same day and I'm all, I'm always really excited to do that. I was thinking when you know you were talking about working in alternative tentacles and putting like notes in mail order stuff, like make it more personable by like attaching a note or whatever and I was like I got to do that every time. I should like in, include a note. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't take a lot but it makes it so much more personal. I love it. Well, that's great. I will have links of course to all these uh portals of yours and uh yeah, and we'll hopefully get more people listening to your amazing songs. And yeah, and just and we'll just, hopefully get more people listening to your amazing podcast. You got thank going you, here. thank you. You're uh, natural at this. Well, at natural after 50 episodes, uh, it, it wasn't an I wasn't a natural at the beginning, like anything else. Yeah, it's, well, I'm gonna go back and listen to episode one. Good. Well, who was I, on episode one? I think it was just me and my friend Paul Schlesinger, who uh, oh, okay. is a, one of my best friends, and he just kind of interviews me about San Diego punk as a person who was not there. So I believe that's what it was, the first one. But yeah, there's a lot of gems along the way. Early stuff's good, um, and it just it's going to keep getting better with the next 50. I'm so glad you're a part of season two, my second guest. Thank you so much, PDC, Peter David Connolly. The moment. Thank Reels. you, Jason. I'll co- I'm going to come down to Portland soon. We'll hang out. We will, and let's talk music and let's play music together sometime. I'd be honored. I would love that. I'm okay. in. That yeah, sounds good. We'll see you then. Love you. Love you too. Goodbye. Enjoyed it. Bye.